Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Amen. Let's, uh, before we do anything else, before we, we jump into this, let us pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today with humble and teachable hearts. There are people who are sitting in this room right now who love you with all their heart, who follow you. There's people who sit in this room right now who are just curious and want to know who this guy named Jesus is. So Lord, I ask today that you reveal yourself through your word. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen, amen. amen. It's good to see you with you guys. Uh, If you have a Bible, turn to the book of John, chapter 8. The book of John, chapter 8. And we're going to hop into verse 48. We're going to finish up the chapter today. For those who've been with us the last four weeks, this is the end of the four weeks, we've been going through chapter 8 in John, and, and it's been this whole theme of Jesus is the light. Jesus of the world. So, so as we set the table, it's what I like to call it, to know the context. They're in the temple. This is right after the, the festival of booths or the festival of weeks. And they had this huge celebration where they had these torches everywhere and, and it's music for seven whole days. And then Jesus comes out at the very end and says, I am the light of the world. Which gives the illustration, the whole reason for the festival and the whole reason of the light was to commemorate when Israel was released from bondage and went out into the wilderness and God led them by a fire by night and a cloud by day. So that's where we're at. And through this whole thing, Jesus had some conversations with this group that are out there. And some of them had started to believe and some of them were still skeptical. So now as we finish on this chapter, this is one long conversation, but we're going to get to a close to it today. And we're going to find out who is Jesus to you. That's the whole title of today's sermon. Who is Jesus to you? I talked about C.S. Lewis, how he said he could either be a liar to you, which means Jesus is not speaking the truth. He is not God. Or he's a lunatic to you. Is this crazy guy that was talking about he's going to resurrect himself from the dead. But if Jesus is not a liar and he's not crazy, then he can only be one thing. And so we as believers or even non-believers have to make a decision. Who is Jesus to you? You know, when I was... My last term, some of you guys know that I've been incarcerated a few times in prison. My last term, I got sentenced to four years. And in that time, I read the Bible five times. Everybody say five times. That's a lot of times. Five times from front to back. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get to the fact of Jesus being God. I was actually trying to prove it wrong. I believe, now this is crazy, I believe that Jesus was the son of God, 
But the whole thing of him being God and the Trinity, it confused me. And some of this wordage that we're going to read in John, maybe it's confused you before too. When Jesus is referencing the Father as God, and that comes to the Father and he's submitting to him, but how does Jesus say that he's God and then Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God? And they have this, this, this tight relationship. And this whole thing of this Trinity, so I'm going to show you a picture right now. It was just hard for me to imagine. And so I tried to disprove it, but the more I tried to disprove that Jesus was God, the more the opposite was shown to me. The more I read the Old Testament, the stem of Jesse, the branch, the strength of the Lord, all the prophecies, the 300 plus prophecies that came true to the exact time, the exact date, the exact way it was delivered. But it still was confusing to me. And maybe it's confusing to you. And maybe you've been coming to church for a while and maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you haven't answered that question or you don't know who Jesus is to you. Maybe you're still trying to figure that out. That's okay. That's what we're here for. But how we look at Jesus this is very important. How we look at Jesus and who Jesus is to us but decide how we look at eternity. Not just the after death, but how we look at eternity right now in our life today. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 8, verse 48. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. And the first point I want to get to is who is Jesus. Everybody looks at your neighbor and says, who is Jesus? Then look back at your neighbor and say, you don't know? All right. Verse 48 says, and the Jews responded to him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? See, this is one of several instances where the religious leaders tried to charge Jesus with accusations. They had said that he was a, a Sabbath breaker, a law breaker. They even called him a deceiver and an apostate. But here, they charge him with being demon-possessed and a Samaritan. Now, I know some of you guys are like, well, what's a Samaritan? Well, that's kind of important to know the culture and the context of what they're actually talking about because these people were like rivals and enemies. But it all started a long time ago in the Old Testament when Assyria came and conquered Israel, and he brought people back, but he left the remnant. And with the outside world, they started intermarrying. And so for the Jewish people, they looked at them as half-breeds. They weren't pure Jewish. They looked at them as dirty. Talk about racism. This was racism in full view. And so when they looked at them, the Samaritans, the Samaritans looked at the opposite way. They said, well, that's our God too. And you have your temple, but we're going to create ours too. And they were more in the northern region. See, possibly one of the reasons why they called him Samaritan was one, Jesus was born in the north. Or not born in the north, but he lived in the north, was raised in the north. But they probably considered Samaritans, and since he was a little lax in Jewish views, what I mean by that is this. These religious leaders were so strict on certain laws and to the point. And Jesus might have seemed a little too compassionate for them. 
A little too, a little too much grace on, on these law areas. But see, the thing was that Jesus is God. Say Jesus is God. I want you to know that. Jesus is God. And God written the law. God written his commandments. God written his word. So who better else than God to interpret what he actually wrote? You see, man, we, even myself, I, I consider myself a wannabe a theologian. And I try my best to understand the context and the scripture of God's meaning. And these religious leaders, they thought they had it nailed down. But because they looked at that, they said, oh, he, he must be a Samaritan because he doesn't believe exactly what we do. Also, Samaritan, they really pushed back. They had a problem with God being exclusively for the Jews. That's probably another reason why they said that he was lax. But even though he might have sounded like a Samaritan, as they might have thought, he wasn't Samaritan by race. And so they also called him possessed, demon-possessed. You know, a lot of times in this context, when Jewish people would call somebody demon-possessed, it wasn't necessarily that they had a demon, but they looked at him as loco or crazy. You ever, you ever seen somebody out there that was just crazy, talking to himself, even barking or doing some weird stuff? That's was their interpretation of him. Remember what C.S. Lewis said to everyone, including these Jewish leaders who have studied the law all their life, and Jesus comes up to them, he must be one, a liar, which what they thought, because they believed in one God, so how is he the father? Or a lunatic. That's why they called him demon-possessed. They thought he was back crazy. Oh, he, he's going to resurrect himself from the dead, and, and he and the Father are one. But they couldn't see him as Lord. And some of us might have that problem, too. Maybe we've been coming to church for a long time, or maybe we just started coming, and we struggle with seeing Jesus as Lord. Or maybe we say as Lord, but we don't act like it. Come on. Let me tell you something. If Jesus is not just your Savior, but if Jesus is also your Lord, your life, will show that. If your life does not show that, is Jesus really your Lord? If you know what a Lord is, it's somebody you follow unconditionally. No matter what they say, yes, my Lord. How do we follow him today? Who is Jesus to you? This is what we're getting at here in our lives. Who is Jesus? Number two, when you know who you are, you know where your identity is found. Verse 49. I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. According to Jewish law, one who rejects a person's appointed messenger or agent, not just rejected the messenger, but also rejects the person who sent him. So what Jesus is saying is, you're not just rejecting me, you're rejecting the person that you call God by rejecting me. But Jesus wasn't worried about what they said. Yes, he didn't deny it. He told them the truth, 
but he wasn't worried about what other people say. As long as he had the father's approval, he was content. Didn't matter what you thought of him. Didn't matter what you said to him. Some of us, we get so caught up in what other people think about us or what other people say about us that it messes up everything and we lose our identity because our identity comes in what they say. But who the father say you were? We listen to these lies of the enemy and the enemy has chosen instruments. It's like a chess game. And some of you guys have been playing as pawns. And we listen to it. Our identity becomes one with it. We believe it. When this word, God's word, says that you are no longer an orphan, that you are his child, that you are an heir with Christ. Teach and preach. So why do we continue to put our identity in other things or people? Because we got to answer that question. Who is Jesus to us? See, Jesus didn't deny what they were saying. But what he did was by saying what he said, he confirmed the opposite of what they believed. Jesus had a mission. Jesus came to do everything that was just in Eden. So you so you know that. I just I want to throw you back. Some of you guys were in the life group and we talked through the book of Revelations. Revelation, excuse me. Let me correct my first teaching on that. There's no s in Revelation. <laughs> this whole book right here, it started off at creation with Adam and Eve. It was God's first people they created. And then the enemy came in and sin into the world. And sin separated man from God and caused death. That's why the penalty for sin is death. But God loved the world so much that he had a plan. He had his own son, Jesus, who was going to be the bridge to bring back man and God on the cross to those who believe. And so anything else than that meant nothing. Anything else but the mission meant nothing. If Jesus is who some of us say he is, we have a mission. Anything that contradicts that means nothing. So who is Jesus to you today? Verse 52. Then the Jews said, oh, excuse me, verse 51. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said, now we know he has a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets that died? And they said this very with indignant. Who do you claim to be? Who is this guy? See, the question was all framed that the answer would automatically be no. They thought what Jesus was claiming and saying about eternal life was insane. How, who is this guy right here saying, like, if you follow my word, you will never see death? It just confirms to them that this guy was crazy. He must be demon-possessed. 
But they misunderstood what he was saying. They couldn't conceive of the fact that how could somebody from following him not see death? But Abraham, who was the father of faith, died. The prophets died. David, the king, died. Moses died. Aaron died. And in the Old Testament, these were the men. But we follow you, we won't see death. They misunderstood because he wasn't talking about the body dying. He was talking about spiritual death. He was talking about life without the father. You see, Jesus wasn't just greater than Abraham. Jesus was Abraham's God. Jesus wasn't just greater than the prophets. Jesus was the God that the prophets spoke of. Moses, Elijah, they all bend the knee. Verse 54. If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say your very own words, is our God. He is the one who glorifies for me. Just like how we talked about in the court of law in those days in Jewish tradition, how once person testimony just wasn't valid like multiple witnesses. Well, it's almost the same thing. If one person comes and glorifies himself and says, I am this, I am that, I am the heir, I am the king. It's like, yeah, but who's backing you up? But when multiple people come, it brings a little validity to it, right? But when the father, the person that they call God backs up Jesus and everything that Jesus is saying, including being one with the father, then I think we need to pay attention. I think we need to realize who Jesus is. Jesus didn't have to glorify himself. Why? Because the Father was already doing that. In order for our identity to be with Jesus, we need to know that. In order for our identity to be with Jesus, we have to follow him. In order for our identity to be with Jesus, we have to know who he is. We have to believe who he is. Because if we don't, we really do not know him at all. Number three, the more you draw closer to God, the more he draws closer to you. Fact. That's a fact. If any of you guys ever been through a one-on-one discipleship and you haven't, I highly encourage you to do. It talks about the difference between being a son, having a relationship, and being a son and having fellowship. It's the reason why we take people through one-on-one discipleship, so at least they know the core, core fundamentals of our Christian faith. Verse 55 says, You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. (laughs) Jesus Jesus is harsh sometimes. He just got to the point. He didn't play. But I do know him and I keep his word. 
Now, when Jesus says, come to know, and but I know, the word know are two different words. In the original Greek, the first know, come to know, is genisco, which means more of an acquired knowledge. That's what he's saying about them. You have an acquired knowledge. You studied the scripture. You've learned it. You, you know about me. But then Jesus talks about, but I know Ida, which means how it was required. And in this case, Jesus was talking about through experience. Some of you guys have been reading your Bibles and coming to church for a long time. But you might not know him like you think you do. Because maybe you haven't really experienced him. Maybe in the morning time, you're so, you went to church on Sunday, you heard the pastor preach and you checked it off your box. I got what I need. I got fed for the week. And you go home, you live your life. Monday morning comes. Oh no, I got to get the kids ready. Got to go to work. Tuesday morning comes. Oh, I got this plan. Wednesday comes. Oh, you know what? I don't have time. But you never just sat down. Opened up your Bible. Got into prayer. And really got to know and experience him. Experience his love. That's getting to know someone. I can't preach up here on this stage if I don't get to know him first. I can't speak about this if I don't try to get to know what he's saying to me first in my own life. Yeah, I got a doctorate. That don't mean nothing. I got a master's degree. That still doesn't mean nothing. I've read the Bible over 10 times from front to back. That means nothing if I don't know him. And we have to get to know him, but not just our head knowledge. Not just our genuski. That's just a Greek word. Makes me sound smart, doesn't it? But it doesn't matter if that's the only know I know of. Their relationship to God was formal. His relationship was familial. It's like a relationship with family. Like how we hope to be with each other here at church. We hope to have this family type of relationship with each other where I see Tressa and Albert and I just don't just know them, but we have this relationship where I know them and they know me too. Franklin, it's our worship pastor. I mean, you guys know him. You see him every Sunday leading worship. But we want to get to where we get to know him and him know us. And then all of us come together as a family. And just like how God knows us and he knows our heart, he knows us since the womb, he knows the plans, and he knows everything. You read every scripture about him knowing us. I would like it if we actually got to know him back as a church. And if we actually get to know him, our church will look different. Our houses will look different. Our communities will look different. Next point. The more we draw closer to God, the more he draws closer to us. The more... He gives us information that we need. The Holy Spirit will share with us things. 
Now, I'm not saying if, if God, I was just talking with somebody about this today. If the Holy Spirit ever tells you something that's different from God's word, it's not the Holy Spirit. Okay? If, if, if God tells you to go leave with that man and go get married that you just met two weeks ago, <laughs> but it doesn't add up, it's not the Holy Spirit, okay? Some people, they, they blame the Holy Spirit for everything. But if it aligns with God's word, listen to it. And so 56, we're going to see an example of this. When Jesus says, your father Abraham, because that's the expression that they have been using in chapter 8. Rejoice to see my day. Now, Jesus is saying this. Now, Jesus, a lot of us look at Jesus. Okay, Jesus walked on this earth for 33 and a half years. Okay? Jesus walked on this earth. That's what we see Jesus at. But Jesus is way more than just his little time here on earth. Okay, we're going to learn about that today. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. Abraham saw his day. Wait, he's not, he's not there. Abraham died like a long time ago. He saw it and was glad. Some scholars believe that they're talking about in Genesis 15, where God gave visions to Abraham and that he saw the plans of all the kingdoms that were to come. I don't know about that. More, I think it was a general plan of the fulfillment of the Messiah. Genesis 12 talked about it was a promise that was made to Abraham. Remember Abraham, the guy who couldn't have no children? You guys remember that? Most of you guys, if you read the Bible or any of it, you start off in either Genesis or you start off in Matthew. So you might have read those books. Genesis is the guy, Abraham is the guy in Genesis, that in chapter 12, he said, through your seed, all nations would be blessed. Through your seed. So what he's talking about is fulfillment of the Messiah, and through him, it wasn't just a Jewish nation that was going to be him, but all nations would receive God's love, grace, and salvation. Even Isaac, you guys remember, that's, that's a tough story, right? That's a tough story, right? How many of you guys ever read the story of Abraham going to sacrifice his son Isaac and was like, ooh, maybe even question. Maybe you question God on that. But if you notice in the story, as they're going up, Isaac, probably wondering, like, what was going on? Where's the sacrifice at, Daddy? <laughs> well, you got that knife in your hand. <laughs> he asked him, he said, hey, you know, where, where, where's the Sacrifice, and he said, the Lord will provide. And right before he did, to see his faith, right before he did, God stopped him and provided a sacrifice, a ram. You see, God had never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. But it was a foreshadowing of the cost and sacrifice that it would take that he was going to have to do for his only son. Remember, this was Abraham's son. This is the love that would cost for Jesus. Number four in your notes. Oh, mom. In order to have that type of relationship where God shows you stuff, you got to be connected to the source. You have to hang out for a while. Some of us, we get so busy. We don't get time to listen. 
Number four, before Abraham was I am. Now, this is powerful. Before Abraham was I am. Verse 57. The Jews replied, you aren't even 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham? They're talking about, I mean, they're older people. And this guy is like young 30s. That's still young, so you know, okay? <laughs> Probably young adults. No. <laughs> Even 40s is still young too. Uh, amen. <laughs> They're looking at his youth and his age. And then also comparing it to Abraham the prophets. But what Jesus was saying, it was more of a power statement. Before showed his identity. Saying before I am. And we talked about the word ego imai. Was the same word that when Moses saw the fiery bush was the same word that God first revealed his name to his people. So he's saying before all this was I am. Before is even creation. This is the climatic Think of the whole, the I am the light of the world. I am the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies of the light and salvation. This is what he's getting to. The final time he said it so many times, but now he's just seeing so blatant about it. Jesus is saying, I am God. And not only did he say it so many times, first of all, Jesus for those who don't know, go back to Genesis. Go back to chapter one, the very first chapter of all the Bible. How they were created in our image. Jesus, if you look at Colossians, the whole world was created through him and by him. Jesus. So the son and the three-way trinity is not just the man who walked. Jesus wasn't just a 33 and a half year ministry. That's not just who we worship. Come on. Jesus is from the beginning. Before all, matter of fact, some people still, they believe in the Old Testament when the capital angel of the Lord came, that it was a precarnate of Jesus making little spots in the Old Testament where everything in the Old Testament was pointing to one name, the name above all names, Jesus. But not only did he say it so many times, but it was so blatantly that this could no longer be ignored. We've went through chapter eight. He's used a lot of this terminology like me and the father, the father and me are one, and, and it gets confusing. He said, I am so many times now that there is no more confusion. He has said that he has got on too many occasions for them to ignore it and just let it slide. So what do they do? Verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw it at him. That was the penalty for blasphemy. Thinking you're God. That's what blasphemy is. Thinking you're God. That's what the devil did. That's why his sin is unforgivable because he tried to rise up and be God. Jesus is God. Amen. We are not. Come on. Once we realize that, you know what, and, and to be all honest with you, 
Let me step down for a second. To be all honest with you, that's us as human beings. That's our main problem. We try to be God in our lives, in our circumstances, in our family, in our thought, in our emotions, the way we want things done. We don't have time for God. No, no, no. We can do it ourselves. God, I know you want me to do it this way, but you know what? I don't like your way because I can do it better. And we try to take the steering wheel and say, God, you're going to be my backseat driver today. I got this. That's the truth. If we look at our life and we look at our life and observance, like if we were out of body experience and checking us out, we'd be like, come on, man. That is our biggest problem. Once we finally submit to him, once we finally realize that Jesus is not just our savior, but Lord and master of our life, and we act as accordingly, everything is going to change. Our life is going to change. Our families are going to change. If we all do this as Christians, this whole world would change. But we got to get past that point with our arrogant selves. But the leadership, they couldn't see it like some of us. You might be like, Pastor Sean, that's not me. I don't act like that. I love Jesus. But just like them, they, they actually thought that they were following God. They thought they were doing things the right way. But they were blind. And when it says in the end of 59, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple, it's a picture of the book of Ezekiel in the temple when the glory of God left. They had it right in front of him, and they couldn't see it. Some of us, we got God right in front of us, knocking at our door. Some of you guys, God is knocking on your door this morning but you can't hear it. Some of you guys, he's been banging at your door all week, but you just ignore it because maybe if you answered it, you might have to answer some things that you don't want to answer to. But how we look at God is going to tell us a lot. Church, how do we look at God today? If we know that Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are responsible for creation, and we know that God will never leave us, and for all of his followers for eternity will be with us, then we have to ask ourselves, who is Jesus to me? Remember, I saw you at the beginning of the sermon. How you answer that question is going to help decide not just how you look at eternity, but how you spend it. And I'm not just talking about heaven. I'm talking about walking right now. But I know I, just had, I had to do something. Can I, I had, sorry, I had to do something because, like I said, like I... I some of you guys read the book of John or some other books in the Bible and it gets confusing, right? How is Jesus, the wording of Jesus and the Father, how are they same? How does the Old Testament say that it's one God, but yet it's this triune God and three persons? How does that happen? Well, the best way that I can explain the Trinity to you, can we put that on the screen for me one more time, please? The best way I can explain the Trinity to you for you is it's the best way that I know how. And let's do this illustration to show how their relationship was so close. 
and how they're two different people. Yes, the son is different from the father and the father is different from the Holy Spirit, but yet they're the same. I'm gonna show you. So the best way I can show you is through water. Everybody say water. Water, Water, God. God is not water, but we're gonna use this as an illustration. Water. What's this called right here? Water. It's drinking water, right? Regular old drinking water. It tastes good. This is water. What happens when you freeze water? It turns into what? It turns into ice. But this ice is different from drinking water, right? I mean, think about it. Can I drink this ice? No, I can't. This ice has a different, different purpose and different function than this drinking water, but it's all the same water. Where I use this to drink, this is water molded in physical form. Kind of like Jesus, who was brought to us as a physical manifestation to see part of God in physical form. This is used, what do we use ice for? Keep things cold. To preserve. But they're different. But the same thing. Even though the son is the physical form of the father, and the father is the fluidness of it all, still water. Still God. Now, we learned about what happens to this drinking water once we put it in cold temperatures and once we freeze it, right? Turns into ice. But what happens to water when we put some heat, some fire to it? Matter of fact, fire was also an Old Testament illustration of the Holy Spirit. What happens when we make the water hot? What, what comes from it? What, what, what do we see comes from it? Steam. I know I used to crease my pants for like two hours, so I know a lot about steam. Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. But the steam. We ever cook something and you boil the water and the steam comes up? Guess what it is? It's still water. But it's different from the ice cubes and it's different from the drinking water. Steam. What do we use steam for? to heat things up and straighten them out a little bit. What's one of the functions of the Holy Spirit? It's to convict us of our sin and we're doing something wrong as believers to help straighten us out a little bit. Sean, what are you doing? Stop doing that. But even though the cold, the drinking water, room temperature water, the ice and the steam are three different persons with three different purposes. Each one has a different purpose. Each one's a different person. They all are God. They still are the same thing. So, also, like water, do they flow together in their relationship? One of the reasons why God gave us the example in relationships of the Trinity and why Jesus keeps saying over and over again how him and the Father, how close their relationship, how they follow, and says, 
how I am with you, I want them to be with me also. That's the example that he gives to us, New Vision Church. Whether you're here for the first time or whether you've been coming for a long time, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord over our life, then we as a family should act accordingly. We as a family should flow in harmony together with no division, no gossiping, no back-talking, but with love. Because by that, he says, by that, they will know that we are his disciples. And by seeing that, instead of what they see on Facebook, they will see that we are true believers. So today, we have to ask ourselves, who is Jesus to me? We've heard what he said. We've seen what he can do. Is Jesus a liar? Is Jesus just saying some crazy stuff? If any of you guys have ever been through something, you know what I'm talking about. This is real. So are we going to, today, August 7th, 2022, are we today going to make him Lord over our lives and no longer follow the lies of the enemy, no longer watch our families go down the wrong path, No longer watch our communities turn to other gods and stop following the one true Lord, the name above all names, Jesus. We have a decision to make today. So a moment we're going to pray. Now, there's different groups of people in here. There's some people that might pray and might say, you know what? I want to make Jesus Lord in my life. You might never accepted him before. You might not have ever made him Lord before in your life. But today he will come your Lord if you ask. There's another group of people who have maybe lifted Jesus as their Savior, but haven't fully committed to his love. Today I ask that you make the decision to realize who he is to you. No longer be playing games because he ain't playing games with you. But make him Lord over your life, which means you have to do what he says. And what he says is right here. And there's the last group that no matter what I say, your heart hasn't changed yet. What I ask you, just keep coming. God's not done with you yet. Let us pray. Dear God, I just, we come to you right now, Father. Realizing that you are Lord, that you are God, that you are not just our savior of the world, but you are also Lord and master over our life. So, Lord, we ask right now that you be Lord of our life, that we commit to you, Father God. We announce that right now in your precious son's name. Eyes closed, heads bowed. If there's anybody in this room right now who has never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, I'm not talking about Savior. I'm talking about Lord of your life. Eyes closed, says bad. I want you to raise your hand right now. 
If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, For those who didn't raise their hand, I pray that our actions will speak louder than any word that we can say starting today. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.